fraud, free tuition, and a possible federal ban on flavored e-cigarettes. We'll talk about all this and more on this episode of In the News. I'm Sarah Schleed, and I'm here with Editor-in-Chief Spencer Buckner. Hi. And News Editor Megan Menchaca. Hey, Sarah. Uh, So before we get to any of that, some big news from the UT system. Starting in fall 2020, UT Rio Grande Valley will cover tuition and mandatory fees for students with household incomes under $75,000. The university announced this on Monday, about two months after UT Austin announced they would cover tuition and fees for students with household incomes under $65,000. Uh, But UT RGV has been doing something similar to this already, correct? What's different about what they announced today? So the UT RGV already has a program like this. They previously set the income cap at $55,000. Today they announced they would be expanding that to $75,000. This new program also includes some ACT and SAT score requirements. So the minimum ACT score is 19, and the minimum, minimum SAT score is uh, 1010 for freshmen. They also need a minimum two. If you're returning, you'll need a minimum 2.5 GPA to uh, qualify for this. How many students quali- like fall under those qualifications? Uh, the president says it will cover about half of the students there, which is uh, 550. Where Where is this money coming from? So UTRGV uses oil funding similar to the University of Texas at Austin to fund its budget, but Money from this program comes from what's known as tuition set-asides. Uh, all, all Texas laws require public universities to set aside some portion of tuition for need-based financial aid, and the university is using some of that set-aside to uh, fund this program. Could this possibly be a step towards a greater trend of like free and reduced-cost college in the United States? I mean, I don't know about the United States, but I mean, in the UT system, we've seen stuff like this for a while. Like in 2008, I think UT Arlington had a program um, to provide students uh, whose families made up to $65,000 with like tuition aid for a while. And they eventually scaled that back um, because they ran out of funding. But kind of going off what Megan was saying, like, yeah, UT RGV gets oil money um, because it's like the UT system gets a lot of money from like the permanent um, university fund. University fund, yeah. Um, only UT can use it for. Only UT Austin can use it for like funding, like tuition stuff. None of the other campuses can. A and M's also got a, a similar program called Aggie Assurance, and yeah. that provides uh, free tuition for students who earn less than sixty thousand dollars a year. And that program's been in effect since two thousand eight. So more and more universities are providing free tuition to lower income students. I believe Rice uh, also has a very similar program. I think their cap is a little higher. Yeah, UT was really late to the game on this, or UT Austin, I should say. Um, and we were only able to do that because we had you know, access to oil money that we're destroying the planet for. So is it worth it? Rice offers free tuition scholarships to undergraduates with an income of $130,000 or less. Wow. Um, to compare that to the university's program, until a few months ago, the university offered announced the university offered free tuition to students with under an income of under thirty thousand dollars, and they only started doing that about a year ago. That's when they announced they would be starting doing that. So UT is catching up slowly but surely. Yeah, and the way we get the money is highly questionable. So 
Yeah. We, we, we got to pick up the pace. Well, moving on. As we've discussed before, Austin City Council said back in June that Austin's transient population is permitted to camp, sit, or lie down in public. But now they're saying, uh, not so fast. Maybe you can't. Uh, council members Ann Kitchen and Kathy Tovo and council member Greg Cesar and Mayor Steve Adler each revealed new plans last week that would severely restrict camping. The June resolution already prohibited camping in public parks and private property, but these proposed rules add several more restricted areas, similar to restricted areas for e-scooters, uh, as well as around present and future emergency shelters. So what are some of these additional restricted areas? So as you mentioned before, there are two different plans. There's the plan uh, proposed by Kitchen and Tovo and the plan proposed by Adler. So they both... Uh, Ban camp. They both propose banning camping downtown and around the city in different areas. Kitchen and Tovo's plan uh, pro proposes banning camping in areas such as in West Campus, such as Rio Grande Avenue, San Antonio Avenue, Nueces Street, Guadalupe Street, and West 24th Street in that area between MLK and 29th Street, which is basically the West Campus area over there. Adler's proposal blends camping on certain blocks. That's very very specific. So we've got some parts of 2nd Street, some parts of 6th Street, some parts of 9th Street, some parts of 11th Street, et cetera, et cetera. There's uh, very specific bands in specific places uh, with these both with these plans that are very contrasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of um, that plan from Kamala Harris that everybody was kind of like, mocking after it came out where it was like we're gonna provide you with advantages but only if you fit this very very specific criteria kitchen and tovo proposed amendments banning camping in west campus and the majority of downtown while adler and cesar just really banned camping in areas where cycling and scooting is prohibited uh so why is austin city council backtracking on the changes they made back in june um uh I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like there was a lot of backlash um, from you know more conservative elements of the community, and also like kind of like the big NIMBY presence in Austin. That um, you know the, the the businesses, small businesses are always a big component. But like I don't want you know like you know people who are experiencing homelessness, although they don't phrase it like that, obviously like you know outside of my business because it's going to drive our revenues down or like it's going to hurt tourism if you have like camps in downtown austin or i know safe horns um is uh really anti-homeless and so i i know they've been pushing for the west campus ban so uh, austin city council has been feeling the heat from you know a lot of small businesses i'm sure who give some nice campaign donations um other businesses who do the same and um yeah they're uh they're buckling to those kinds of pressures, um, even when before they had made a, a commitment not to. So is it wholly surprising? No. Uh, is it disappointing? Uh, yes. Especially when, you know, actually fixing the root of the problem still doesn't seem to be a massive priority. Based on some of the comments they've made to other media outlets, KVU, the states of KXAN, Adler, for example, has told them that they just, they want, they're trying to flesh out the original plan, so trying to name specific areas where it's not safe to camp instead of lie instead of in a total ban or a total opening to camping. It's interesting that there are so many people like pushing back 
because they already restricted like private property and public parks. Like that seems to cover a lot of like <laughs> ground. I mean, knowing knowing Austinites, especially those that live downtown and West Campus, I'm sure it's very inconvenient for them to have to, you know, see feel the moral um, guilt of seeing homelessness and knowing they benefit from a system that allows homelessness to happen. So it's a lot easier to. Uh, make sure that those people can't see the homelessness yeah. um, instead of actually doing something to resolve the reason that it exists in the first place. Uh, any more to say about that? Yeah, I wanna, I'm actually reading this article and I wanna kind of respond to the uh, question that you posed uh, earlier. It looks like the these new proposals have been proposed because of the conversations that these council members have had with each other. They all agree that they want to change or update the resolutions passed in June, but have different ideas on how they want to do it. So they're just throwing their proposals out there for the whole council to consider and seeing which ones get the approval from the majority of the group. I'm sure that'll continue to uh, develop. Yeah, they will be meeting about these topics throughout this week. I believe they have either closed or open sessions on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So go to the open sessions if you're uh, passionate about this problem. And city hall meeting on Thursday. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Well... Uh, On to campus news. A new internal report found a former law school facilities director defrauded the university out of nearly $1.6 million. The felony charges say Jason Shoemaker funneled payments to friends and associates, falsified travel documents and educational credentials, and manipulated procurement processes so he could make questionable purchases with little oversight. When did Shoemaker work at the university, and when did this all go down? He began work at the university in 2012, but at in 2017, the university's uh, Office of Internal Audits was uh, alerted to some kind of, what's, how do I, some costs that were more than expected. And they began looking into some payments by Shoemaker or payments facilitated by Shoemaker and the memo presented to Fenves on Friday uh, reflects that they found a lot of violations that he had made. Uh, so why is this such a big deal, besides the fact that that's a lot of money? He committed, according to this memo, many violations. I can't even list them all uh, because we don't have enough time, but we have not disclosing consensual relationships with, with his employees, falsifying educational qualifications in his resume, holding a city council position what? Um, when he's not supposed to. What? I don't know how they didn't know that he was holding a city council position, um, making personal purchases through law school accounts, many, many violations that they found. And this comes after, only a few months after, the university was involved named in the nationwide college admissions scandal. They also made national headlines for that. So I don't know if I can say why it's important, but the university is uh, dealing with multiple individuals who have committed or been accused of committing misconduct. So what is the university doing to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Uh, let's, hold on, give me one second. Check your emails, everyone. You should have gotten a, a really eloquent email from President Gregory L. Finvez this morning. Yeah, in case you're not on his mailing list, uh, Megan, you should can join you, immediately. <laughs> Megan, can you summarize? The university is announcing its commitment to ethics. They are 
they are um, implementing ethics and leadership discussion groups, and they are also implementing a campus-wide survey where the UT community will be able to answer questions about ethics. Uh, the president said he's, he's seen multiple individual ethical lapses at his time at the university. So him and the chief compliance officer are instituting this new program called Honor Texas, and that includes the two things I've mentioned, along with a couple other programs to improve and commit to ethics. Yeah, I, um, you know, the, he mentions the collective brilliance at UT, and I think that's a really beautiful sentiment. Um, now, I, I don't think that Jason Shoemaker would have necessarily been deterred from about the 3,000 ethics violations he had by ethics and leadership discussion groups and a campus-wide survey. For some reason, I don't, I don't believe that that would have prevented any, any of these infractions. Um, and yeah, this is not very convincing for me. This seems much more institutional than just having a bunch of people get together and talk about ethics. Fair point. Uh, so, as of September 1st, Texans now have to wait until they are 21 years old to buy tobacco and nicotine products. This week's forum page centered around the bill from the Texas legislature that made this possible. What are people saying about this change? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. A lot of the experts are really happy about this bill because uh, research has shown time and time again that um, you know, getting hooked on nicotine, whether it's like cigarettes or e-cigarettes, whatever, really happens before you turn 20. Um, and kind of after that, it becomes a lot harder because your brain's more developed, whatever. I don't know necessarily all of the medical reasons, but it's just, it's true. So there's a lot of people that are, you know, very optimistic that this will make it a lot harder for high schoolers and middle schoolers to, you know, get their hands on jewels and stuff like that. And hopefully, you know, kind of earn back the success that, uh, you know, we saw in the past 20 or so years with curving nicotine use. Some some users are a little upset by it, um, and there is a concern. So there was a grandfather clause. So if you turned 18 before September 1st of, what, 2001, um, you can still purchase nicotine products. But um, for, like, kids that are already hooked in, like, high school and middle school, kind of out of luck. Um so that, that's really been the biggest pushback I think I've heard of about this, other than just like, more freedom to buy jewels. I think there's also some um, argument, as there always is with like perhaps frivolous legislation, is like that like, why are we banning this before we ban other I mean, things? I think, I, think, I think talking about the federal ban, that's different because the context of that's very different, but I mean, a lot of states have been passing this Tobacco 21 type legislation, and I mean, looking at the explosion of like youth vaping and kids getting hooked on nicotine, like I think this is necessary, um, because like, I mean, we've known tobacco companies, cigarette companies forever have been like trying to get kids hooked so they can just get as much fucking capital as possible. Um, I guess cut out that, uh, the cuss word. Um, so they can get as much capital as possible. Um, so it's like incredibly lucrative to like get kids hooked on this stuff, and like Jewel knows that. So, um, like, these corporations want to get kids hooked as early as possible. So I don't think this is frivolous, because, like, this is, like, literally saving people's lives. And also, like, you know, pretty big middle finger to these corporations. But um, 
I mean, I think the, I think the federal one's a different story, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Yeah, let's let's get to it. So soon after the Texas bill's implementation, news broke that the Center for Disease Control and Prevention is investigating a reported six deaths caused by lung diseases related to vaping, as well as 380 other probable cases. Uh, then last week, the White House announced federal officials may be banning flavored e-cigarettes. This is where I take issue. A lot of these, you know, these deaths in these cases were from black market THC cartridges and not e-cigarettes, which I mean is a, you know, a great argument to legalize marijuana and marijuana products because this is what a black market looks like. Um, but also, like, the White House is jumping on this kind of like way overblown hysteria for six deaths to ban all e-cigarettes, which I mean, you can't look at this and tell me that like, you know, old school tobacco companies are not you know, somehow linked into this. And I mean, looking at other stuff too, like e-cigarette or not even e-cigarettes, you know, THC cartridges that have been false equivalents to e-cigarettes killed six people. And, you know, we have the gun violence epidemic concentration camps on the border, you know, all of this horrendous things that the United States government is still doing, or that's still happening in the country. And like, uh, nobody's bad an eye about that. So, uh, well, businesses and media have been discussing whether or not e-cigarette companies can still sell in their stores or advertising their, in their publications or on their stations. Uh, so there's definitely like a big reaction to um, this data about um, the possible health effects. But do you think that there's enough data to elicit this type of like strong response? I don't know. I, can't, I don't know. I can comment on that. That's a you question. I mean... Like, looking at this, like, taking a step back, like I said before, they're making a false equivalence between black market THC cartridges and e-cigarettes. Um, black market, if, if anything, this is an argument to legalize marijuana to make sure that, like, people can smoke weed and not die from it because marijuana will not kill you. Um, but then at the same time, like, why the hell are we banning e-cigarettes outright for everyone? Like, that seems really ridiculous. Comes out of nowhere, obviously, like, completely, you know, misinterpreting, like, the facts, what's actually happening here. Um, yeah. Um, so this, this, this whole thing just seems really, really bizarre and um, makes me realize that, uh, you know, big tobacco and cigarette companies are a lot more powerful than I thought they were. Um, even though, you know, they they don't seem like it. Yeah. Welcome to the 60s, I suppose. Nothing's, nothing's ever changed. Uh, well, that's all for this episode. Uh, thanks to Spencer and Megan for joining me. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having us. Uh, make sure you just subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud so you can tune in in two weeks for another episode where we will talk more about what's in the news.